Tonight we will be in Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22, if you'll turn with me there. And Pastor Tim and I, we have been preaching through the book of Ephesians, and we have paused to dwell upon the household of God and what that looks like to live particularly uh, as, as a man and a woman for Christ. And so we have been focused particularly on, on men and their role. And tonight I want to speak to fathers in particular, though this text is applicable clearly to us all as we will see. But if you will turn there to Genesis chapter 22, if you will stand for the reading of God's word, if you're physically able to do so, we will be looking at the whole chapter. In verse 1, Moses writes, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains, of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the, the fire and, and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed shall all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. 
We thank you that it is able to make us complete, and we pray that you would sanctify us by your spirit and through your word, and we pray that as it is preached this evening that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things of, of your truth and your wisdom, Lord, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in one sense, the main purpose of this text, Genesis 22, it isn't necessarily about being a father. But in another sense, it really typifies the picture that we have of our Father in heaven and truly his greatest act in giving up his own son in our place. And the scriptures, they point back to Abraham as our covenantal father. Abraham, the father of many nations, the father of both the circumcised and the uncircumcised for those that are in Christ. And so in a real sense, we can look to Abraham and we can learn the most important lesson there is to fathering from his greatest act of faith. And so, fathers, behold your father in heaven. That's what I've titled this sermon, is Fathers, Behold Your Father. I thought about naming the sermon, The Father Who Puts God First. And certainly we ought to put God first in all things. But so often we like to kind of put things in like comparison, in a kind of a comparison hierarchy of sorts. And so, for instance, you've probably heard people say, I put God first and then family, and then maybe next there's something like the nation or something like that. Or I put God first, family, and then friends. Or God, family, friends, and my work. Or maybe God, family, and guns. And so you hear people start to to create these hierarchies of ordering what is important in their life. And it's a common thing that we hear. But in some capacity, when we compare things, we're ranking them. We're ordering them. We're considering them against one another as we do such things. But God is incomparable. God cannot be compared to other things. He doesn't just inch out the other things in our life. He doesn't just by an inch beat out family. He doesn't just by an inch beat out how much we love our nation or how much we love our guns or different things. He doesn't just beat that out. He is incomparable. He is otherly. He is other than those other things in our life. And so we must rightly behold our God. He is beyond all comparison. And so let us learn from Abraham not just to put God first, but instead to come to behold our God. To truly behold him in his splendor and his majesty. And once we come to know him in such a way, the things of this world truly do go strangely dim. As the great hymn writer wrote, the things of this world grow strangely dim when we behold our God. And that's what we see in Abraham. We see that with Abraham and his willingness to sacrifice his own son as he journeys to Mount Moriah. He teaches us to lay aside all worldly things and to behold our God in his fullness. And so turn with me to verse 1 of chapter 22. Moses writes, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. There'll be three here I am's in this passage. You see these transitions occur as we see this call to Abraham and he will say, here I am. But Abraham's given a test. We will come to see, has Abraham learned of God's faithfulness? Has Abraham come to learn about the covenant faithfulness of his God as God's tested him? 
And the text says, after these things, after these things. It's important to recognize that Genesis 22, this act that we see here, it's really a culmination of everything that God has done in dealing with Abraham. This is really a culmination of what we've seen play out in Genesis. And so it's difficult to just drop into a text so profound without that background before us. And so if you will, just turn to chapter 12, and we're going to walk through briefly the Abraham narrative. And so turn back to chapter, chapter 11, verse 30. We'll start there. We will walk through the narrative with Abraham as he makes his way to Mount Moriah. Chapter 11, verse 30. We're given a genealogy. And throughout the Bible, we know important things are happening when genealogies are given. But there's something particular in this genealogy that will really overshadow the coming narrative. In verse 30. It's written, but Sarai was barren. She had no children. She had no children. Her barrenness will really dominate the narrative to come. We're waiting a seed. From Genesis 3.15, we're waiting that seed that will come to crush the serpent's head. We're looking for that one to come. We begin to see that the promises will go through Abraham in particular of a seed, a particular seed, but the problem is, Sarai is barren. And so right after that genealogy, we see chapter 12, where God calls Abraham the first time. He says in verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in the first part of verse 4, so Abraham departed. So Abraham is called and he goes. He's given a promise of land, a nation, a people that will come from him, a great name, that he will not only be blessed, but that he will be a blessing to the nations, that he'll be a conduit of God's blessings to the nations. And so Abraham is obedient. We see obedience to the call. He's operating from a posture of faith, but yet we're going to see ongoing failure through, for, through Abraham's life. He will grow in that faith as he makes his way to Mount Moriah. But he will falter first. Right after leaving, right after getting these profound promises from God, we see Abram in Egypt. He goes to Egypt in chapter 12, verse 10. He goes to Egypt and he sees his wife is beautiful. He thinks that he may be killed because of that. They may take his wife. And so he says, say that you are my sister. Say that you are my sister so that it will go well with me. So they enter Egypt and she's taken into Pharaoh's harem. The promised seed will come through Sarai, but now she's in Pharaoh's harem. There's a threat to the promises of God, but God acts. God afflicts Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh says, why did you lie to me, Abram? And Pharaoh is cursed because of Abraham. It won't be the first time that Pharaoh is cursed as God's people are saved. But Abram was called to be a blessing to the nations. He was called to, to, to bless the nations. And here we see him lying to the nations and being a cursing unto the nations, unto Pharaoh. And so instead, he deceives them instead of being that blessing. And so we're already starting to see Abraham falter in his faith immediately after the promises. But then God makes a covenant with Abraham in chapter 15. 
you turn to chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He reiterates these promises, and in verse 6 of chapter 15, and he being Abraham believed in the Lord, and, and he being God, that's why it's in capitals, accounted it to him for righteousness. And so Abraham is believing, it is counted unto him to, as righteousness. And then we see that oath, that blood-binding oath, where the animals are cut into, they're, they're split in two. God causes, causes Abraham to sleep while God passes through the carcasses. That reminder that the consequences to be unfaithful to the covenant is death, is death. But it's only God who binds himself unto death with Abraham. And so one party passes through the carcasses as he demonstrates his covenant faithfulness that God is taking up. And what's Abraham's first response to this, this amazing ceremony in chapter 15? Well, you turn to chapter 16, and you have the events of Hagar and Ishmael in chapter 16. Starting in verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So we're reminded, again, we've been reminded throughout the narrative that, that they are struggling to have children. The promises have been given to him, the promises have been given to his seed, yet they are struggling, they are barren. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Sarah comes up with a solution, or Sarai at this time comes up with a solution. So she says to Abraham in verse 2, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. So she understands that it's of the Lord. But she says, Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram, what does he do? He heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, pay attention to these two verbs coming up. So Abram, Abram's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave, took and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Cana. So Abram should be leading his family leading his family well, trusting in God, trusting in God's provision of this promised seed. Yet he provides no leadership here. He consents to Sarai's plot without any protesting. And you see the same verbs used in Genesis, the same verbs that take and gave. It's exactly what Eve did in the garden. She took of the fruit and she gave. We're seeing that same event play out in the life of Abraham. And Sarah, that same Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 event play out. As God, the covenant, God has promised these things and they are covenantally unfaithful to God. Yet God graciously reaffirms his promise to Abraham. He renames him Abraham, the father of many nations. Changes his name from father to father of many nations. God appears to Abram in chapter 18. Specifically, he specifies the promise that Sarah will have a son. And she responds with laughter at the promises of God. And then by chapter 20, by chapter 20, it's like we see a bad rerun in chapter 20. Abraham and Sarah, they're in Gerar. And once again, he pulls the she is my sister act with Abimelech. And it's like... 
it's like we're banging our head against the wall saying, Abraham, what are you doing? Did you not learn from those events with Pharaoh? Did you not learn that God is faithful, that God will bring about what he is promising? Yet he goes there and once again says, she is my sister. And so despite his cowardice, despite his unfaithfulness to the promises of God, God is faithful. And in chapter 21, we're reminded of that in verse 1. Moses writes, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. I love how it says, as he had said. He had already said these things would happen. It's a reminder. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. So twice in, the, in just that verse, we're reminded he had already said these things. They, they should have trusted in God, but yet he is faithful. And so she conceives and she bears Isaac. And we're reminded in the end of verse 12 of chapter 21 that for in Isaac your seed shall be called. We're reminded of the promise of that seed. We're reminded that it will be Isaac who is that child of promise. He is that miraculous birth that God has overturned that barren womb and that we have a miraculous child in Isaac. God will bring his blessings to bear through Isaac and through that lineage but we're reminded that Ishmael is not that promised child. As he's driven out in chapter 21, we see Isaac being reaffirmed in the promises of God and, and Ishmael being driven out. And then by the time that we get to chapter 22, it should be abundantly clear of the faithfulness of God. We've seen the promises come to fruition. All of these things that Abraham has been learning about God and God's faithfulness, this will be the culmination of Abraham's belief in God. And so in verse 2 of chapter 22, as we arrive back in our text, God says, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Makes it abundantly clear who he is to take, and the relationship that they have. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Think about this. Take your son, the child of promise, that miraculous child, the one whom you delight in, the one whom you love, and sacrifice him. Sacrifice him on a hill, on an altar, How will Abraham respond to this divine testing? Will he respond in faith, in obedience? As a parent, I can't even imagine a test like this. I can't even imagine being asked of this. He could only do this if God truly is the object of his devotion. If he truly trusts in God, there is no other way that a man who loves his son, his only son, could ever do this act. And so parents, we are to love our children. Abraham loved Isaac. We are to love our children, but we must always recognize that they are gods, that our children, our our grandchildren, our family, our loved ones, that ultimately they are gods, that they are in God's hands. We can be tempted to make very good things, and children are very good things, but we can make them idols of our hearts. 
We can take what is good, we can take what is a gift from God and make it an idol of our heart. And so, will Isaac be shown to be an idol of Abraham's heart? Or will Abraham demonstrate his wholehearted faith in God? And it's interesting, as it says, on one of the mountains of which I tell you. He doesn't even have the details. He's given partial knowledge of where he is to go. And many times in our Christian walk, we don't have all the details. When you look back on your life, there were things that that maybe at the time didn't make sense. But as you look back, it is clear what God was doing along the way. You can look back and see God's faithfulness along the way. Just as Abraham, and by the time we get to this chapter, can look back and see the faithfulness of God. The things that didn't make sense then make sense now. And so we need to operate with a deep-seated belief in God's providence. We need to step forward in faith, even at times when we don't know what mountain we're heading towards. But we are to step forward in faith belief. And so what does Abraham do? He rises early in verse 3. He rises early in the morning and he saddles his donkey. There's no protesting this time. Doesn't come up with anything else. He, he, He acts. And he took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. There's no laughing this time. He he doesn't laugh at what God has told them. He doesn't question. He doesn't find another way this time. He doesn't come up with his own man-made plan, even though he's done that before. Along the way, he has come to see God's faithfulness. He has come to understand God in his faithfulness. Throughout this Genesis narrative in Abraham's life, we see many different names of God used, and God will reveal himself to Abraham and use different names at times. Like in chapter 17, verse 1, God reveals himself as El Shaddai, or God Almighty. Abraham is coming to know his God. He is coming to, he is coming to behold his God as God Almighty, the God who keeps his promises. Obedience is the only response from a person trusting in God. That as we trust in God, the only proper response is obedience. Now, this text, in many ways, it seems very drawn out, giving all these details about him saddling a donkey, splitting wood. You you see this text, it, it seems very drawn out. It's really to cause us to pause and to feel the power and emotion of what's happening. A father's being called to sacrifice his own son. That we ought to take the time to read it, to understand the details, and to feel the emotion and power in the text as it's being presented to us. And he continues in verses 5 and 6 as we're starting to see that final leg of the journey. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. We will go to worship. Abraham now is a man who has come to behold his God. That he is marked by a heart filled with worship to God. That he understood sacrifice as worship unto God. And that he was willing to sacrifice all things in the worship of God. But he says it, makes a telling statement here as he says, but we will come back to you, is what he says to these young men. We will come back to you. 
And there's kind of three main views on this we will come back to you statement. Some believe that Abraham's just lying. That Abraham is telling them a lie because he doesn't want them to stop him or maybe to go back to Sarah and to tell Sarah what's happening. And so maybe Abraham is just lying. Well, there's nowhere in the text that causes us to think otherwise of Abraham's faithfulness here. And also we'll see later in Hebrews chapter 11, allowing scripture to interpret scripture. That's clearly not what Abraham was doing, was lying here. The second understanding of it is that maybe Abraham wasn't actually planning on sacrificing his son, that he's kind of giving lip service to God, that, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll get my wood ready, I'll get my donkey, I'll, I'll, I'll bring everything to the hill, but really in his heart, he wasn't willing to do this. That's kind of that second view. Again, nowhere in the text do we see that. Nowhere in the text do we see that Abraham is not going to go through with this act. We see nothing but faithfulness, unlike many other times in his life. And again, we'll allow Scripture to interpret Scripture shortly in Hebrews chapter 11 as we do see the heart and mind of Abraham. But the third view is that Abraham is confident in God's promise. He believed that the seed would come through Isaac no matter what. That if God has promised this, God will bring it to bear. That if God said that that through Isaac will his seed be brought forth, that Abraham now trusts. Abraham now trusts that God will bring to bear what he has promised, no matter what. No matter what. That's the view that I believe, and I'm confident, and Scripture tells us in Hebrews 11, that is Abraham's heart in this, that he is willing to sacrifice his own son unto God. And this son, who's soon to be sacrificed, in verse 6, we see him responding through carrying the wood up the hill. He says, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. Isaac carries the means of his own demise up the hill. Isaac is burdened down by this wood as he carries it up the hill. The son is obediently obeying his father. He won't be the last obedient son who carries wood up a hill. Christ will travel up Calvary with a cross, with wood on his back, called by his father to sacrifice his own life. And in verse 7, Isaac really asks what I will call the question of the ages. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father! And he said, Here I am, the second here I am, my son, and then he said, look, the fire and the, and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? This question could only come from a child who understands what sacrifice is. Isaac had to understand what sacrifice is, what you need for a sacrifice, how you do it. He, he knew the different things. He knew that the most important part was missing. Isaac understands the need for a living sacrifice. Our children they pick up on what we do. They pick up on what we do and what we say and what we teach them. He knows what sacrifice is because Abraham has taught him. Through teaching him, through modeling it, from him observing it, is the only way that Isaac would know with such clarity what is missing from the sacrifice. And so our children, they pick up what we do. The children of Israel, they were present in Israel's history as sacrifices were occurring. 
We see it even in that first Passover with the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. The, the, the family was present. The family knew what was happening, that the lamb was being sacrificed on their behalf. And so, fathers, we need to lead our family in worship. We need to lead our family in worship of God. We need to be careful to model the faith and to live out the faith in a way to teach that next generation what the pattern of devotion to God looks like. And we get the answer to Isaac's question. He says, where is the lamb? In verse 7, and Abraham says in verse 8, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. God will provide it and he will do it for himself. God will provide the sacrifice necessary to satisfy God's own wrath against us. It is God who will provide for himself. And in verse 9, he begins to prepare the sacrifice. Then they, they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. He builds an altar. This would have taken time to, to build an altar, to make these preparations that we're hearing from. He binds Isaac, and Isaac is described as a lad. There, there are some different uh, views on how old he is, roughly. But he's at least old enough to put up a fight at this point. He's at least old enough to argue about being bound. He's clearly old enough to understand that there's not a lamb at this point and that things, things may not be looking good for him. But yet we see no, no protesting. We see an obedient son. Obedient son trusting in his father, trusting in his father's wisdom in this as Abraham begins to bind him. Abraham is modeling godly obedience, and the son is trusting his father. He is obedient to the will of the father. Reminds me of Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul writes, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That Christ, the obedient son, submitted to the will of the father in sacrificing his own life as the sacrifice, as the unblemished lamb. And in verse 10, we see the father standing over the sacrifice. Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. He's ready to give up his beloved. He's ready to put to death Isaac. The, the text leaves no question that Abraham was prepared to do exactly what God commanded. We see no hesitation. Throughout his life, though, we've really seen an unperfected faith. We've seen a faith that's continued to waver as he failed to trust in the promises of God and he calls his wife his sister twice as he, as he has Ishmael in sin. And so we see throughout his life he has wavered, he has waffled, but now he is trusting in God's wisdom rather than his own. He has learned of the faithfulness of God. He has learned of God's providence, God's goodness, God's certainty. And so he's ready to give up his beloved. Obedience is a heart issue, and it stems from faith in God. And so as, as he has learned to hold the things of this world loosely, he has learned to trust in God, and that is what has caused him to do so. This is what has caused him to hold all things loosely, even the things most dear to Abraham. 
And so as we raise our kids, as we raise our grandkids, do we treat them as our greatest treasure? Or do they know that we most treasure God? That above all things, that we treasure God. Because God is incomparable to all things in this world, even our kids or grandkids. That God is the incomparable. So we must treasure God first and foremost. And it's at this point that as, as Abraham stretches out that knife, where we can see what is in his mind and in his heart because scripture tells us if you will turn back to hebrews chapter 11 with me turn back to hebrews chapter 11 we'll look at verses 17 through 19 as we see this this great cloud of witnesses before us that the author of hebrews puts before us that that by faith these people acted that by faith these people were obedient to god and, and really it's a who's who of people who also showed unfaithfulness at so many times but they point to the faithfulness of God, that above all things that God is faithful. And so if you'll look to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 with me, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. See that same language being used. Of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Concluding, so he is concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So Abraham trusted in God even unto the fact if he had to kill Isaac that God could raise him from the dead. And one day there will be one who is slain. One day there will be that seed of Abraham who would truly be slain and raised from the dead. And so Genesis 22 points us forward to the greater son who is to come and the greater father who sacrifices his own son, his only begotten son. And so as Abraham is really typifying that great act of God in sacrificing his son, God stops him. Right in that last moment, God puts an end to this event. In verse 11, going back to Genesis 22, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am, the last here I am. Here I am. God puts a stop to it, really at the climax of this dramatic event. Right as the the knife is ready to be plunged into Isaac, God puts a stop to it. The test is complete. Abraham's faith is evidenced. His faith is evidenced. The father of promise has not withheld his one and only son from God. God tells him to not lay his hand on the lad in verse 12 or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. He is holding everything loosely. He recognizes that it is God that he treasures most. That the evidence of his faith is that the things of this world are of no account in comparison to God. The test is complete, and God provides, in verse 13, God provides an answer to Isaac's question. In verse 13, Moses writes, Then Abraham lifted his eyes, and he looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. 
in his son's place. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God answers Isaac's question. Isaac asks, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And God provides it. And as I said, it's the question of the ages because there is one who comes along and ultimately answers it. It's John the Baptist in the wilderness. That prophet in the wilderness, he cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Isaac asks the question. He poses the question here. Where's the Lamb? And John the Baptist answers it. He says, Here is the Lamb. Behold the Lamb that has come. Behold this, the unblemished, the spotless Lamb that has come to die on your behalf. Behold your God. And so John the Baptist answers this profound question that we see on Mount Moriah. So behold that Lamb. And we're given a name, another name, the Lord will provide. Yahweh, Yehra'eh, the Lord will provide. Abraham has learned a lot of names about God by this point. He learned El Shaddai, as I mentioned earlier, God Almighty. El Olam, the everlasting God. He has learned that God is everlasting in chapter 21. El Elyon, God Most High. He has learned that God is Most High. Multiple times that's used in the narrative. Adonai, Lord, Master, that God is Lord, that God is Master of all. He has heard the holy name of God, Yahweh, used throughout the narrative, and Elohim, that God is supreme, that God is supreme above all else. And here he comes to learn of God who will provide. God who will provide. Yahweh, Yehra'eh. And so he names the place after the God who will provide. We must trust God. We must trust our God that he will provide, that he will show care for us, that, that he will provide for us. And so, fathers, we must trust Yahweh. We must trust God that he will provide for us. Abraham has had to learn this at many times the hard way that God provides. He's had to learn the hard way as he's faltered in his life at not trusting God. He, he receives a promise from God, and right afterwards, he seems to go in the opposite direction. But God proves his faithfulness along the way. And our faith, it may not be tested like Abraham. I pray that it never would be, but it certainly gets put to the test. Each one of our faiths get put to the test. And so do you trust Yahweh, the one who will provide? Do you trust that he will provide, that he is God Almighty, that he is also El Shaddai, that he is the one that will provide? Or are you trusting in the things of this world? Are you trusting in your own strength, your own plans, like Abraham did at so many turns along the, the way? So we are to trust in the sovereign God who is seated on his throne. Because if we're, if we're honest with ourselves and we, we look back on our life and, and our Christian life in particular, oftentimes we, we, we are much like Abraham. That we've waffled at times. We've lacked faith at times. Our sanctification doesn't always go as quickly as we would like it to progress. The walk's not always pretty along the way. But praise God that if, if we are in Christ... Our covenantal partner is the same God as the God of Abraham. The same faithful God that walked with Abraham to Mount Moriah. That demonstrated his faithfulness along the way is the same God who we are covenantally bound to if we are in Christ Jesus. That we are under a new covenant, a covenant of blood. That that lamb has come. 
that if we are trusting in Christ, that we have been forgiven, that he has given us his spirit so that we might be sanctified, so that we may walk in Christ and abide in him. And so this passage, it it calls us to trust in God's faithfulness. It's easy for us to be distracted by worldly things, by temporal things. But when our eyes are fixed upon God, our Heavenly Father, the things of this world do indeed go strangely dim. And so men, fathers, all of us, lead our families and and, and lead in the church and care for others, not just by putting God first, but instead let us all properly behold God, our Heavenly Father who is on His throne. And so whatever might be said of us, let us be a people of unwavering, unshakable faith. Let us have a view of God that is supreme to all else. Like Abraham, it will transform how we live. When we live in a way that God is supreme, it will change how we live out our calling and election. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are indeed the God who provides. We thank you that you provided your your son, most especially, Lord, so that we who were in sin could be forgiven, Lord, because of that great sacrifice, because of his atonement on the cross for our sin, Lord. We thank you for the goodness of the gospel. Lord, we we thank you for this picture of the gospel, this demonstration of, of faith that we see here in our text, and we pray that you would help us to be a people who behold our God, Lord. Help us to loosen our grip on the things of this world, Lord. Let us hold the things of this world loosely as we trust in you, Lord, as we walk in faithfulness. We ask all these things in Christ's name.